0: As you know, we have just begun uh, ordinary time after the period of Christmas, and uh, we are now in the readings for ordinary time, and they always begin the year with passages from St. Mark, the evangelist St. Mark, who sees everything through the lens of St. Peter, because he was kind of St. Peter's uh, secretary, if you like, and so... He would have t- talked to St. Peter about everything, and St. Peter would have recounted what he saw. And so today uh, we get, like, like how can I say it? Saint St. Mark doesn't waste any time. He just goes straight straight for the things that Jesus was doing before he arrived in Jerusalem. And here we get a series of, uh, of uh, cures, of uh, miracles in which he cures people, and uh, he's now in Capernaum, and uh, it was reported that he was in Capernaum, so a lot of people gathered there and there we get the account of him healing the paralytic and uh, well, this paralytic we know, as, as we are told today by St. Mark, was brought here by his friends. It's a beautiful image his friends were so concerned about him he'd been paralyzed we don't know if it was a uh, a work accident, or, or he had been like that for a long time. But it's clear that, that they really cared about their friend. They, we, we can imagine all four of them, carrying their paralytic friend. Maybe they had him gathered up in a kind of a sheet, and uh, each one in one quarter. And uh, but of course, to get him towards Jesus, they needed to get him right in front of Jesus, and there were too many people in the in the house. This is what St. Mark says, And many were gathered together so that there was no longer room for them, not even about the door, and he was preaching the word to them. He's preaching the word, meaning he was recounting how all the prophecies of the Old Testament, all the accounts of the Old Testament, the law in the Old Testament that they all knew so well was now finally coming to its uh, conclusion. If you like, everything they knew was now pointing now to what he was telling them about the good news, the good news of the gospel, and that this was encapsulated precisely in him. Okay? And he was well. That's what he was telling them. Preaching the word, the word to them, and they came. These, these friends bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men and when they could not get near him because of the crowd they removed the roof above him and when they had made an opening they let 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 down the pallet on which the paralytic lay and when jesus saw their faith he said to the paralytic child your sins are forgiven now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like this? It is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they were questioning like this within themselves, said to them, What why do you question like this in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say. Rise, take up your pallet, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, take up your pallet, and go home. And he rose, and immediately took up the pallet, and went out before all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this so it's a beautiful combination both of the forgiveness of sins and a beautiful healing it's as though up until then he had been telling them the word and this now the, the truth of what he was saying now is summarized in this action this miracle that is taking place there in this little this little house and of course the friends of the paralytic well they were just bringing him to to get uh, to get healed they weren't expecting to get forgiveness i mean you know that well. that's not what they were coming for and for that matter the paralytic wasn't expecting that either Mm -hmm. they they understood that only god can forgive and but in fact that forgiveness could be forgiven by god but it had to be done by going to the temple and special offerings had to be made and uh, the lord himself would have agreed with them that nobody can but god can forgive sins Mm -hmm. But thereby, by forgiving this this paralytic, he is revealing to them his real identity, that he is the Son of God, and that indeed he has the power to forgive sins. They were expecting a cure, and they were not expecting that he would forgive sins. Meaning, they were expecting that he would have some kind of, let's say, limited power, but not this extreme power of forgiving sins. And... Of course, if only God can forgive sins, it means that they also had a clear sense of the severity of sin. That yes, maybe somebody, like a man, can cure a leper or can cure somebody who is a paralytic, but nah, no man can forgive sins, that's that's impossible, that's way worse, even though that's not what they came for. They didn't come to forgive sins or to have their sins forgiven. And so they get this huge, impossible payback, and really, it, the image that they have at that time of God was a God that was kind of mad at our sins. Right? And indeed, in some senses from from the Old Testament, they often had an image of God that was somewhat severe, somewhat like angry at our at our sins. Right? That's why it was very difficult for them, them to imagine that, that anybody could forgive sins. It was just like impossible. Only God could do that. If he did do that. There was that uh, podcast where uh, Scott Hahn recounts questions that are sent to him, right? And and one lady asked this question. She, she said that she was working in an office and she was trying to do apostolate with her friends. And... Uh, they would often just like she would start talking, and then they would just walk away. They didn't care. Ah, that's your you're you're talking about that Catholic stuff. We're not interested, right? And uh, and uh, you know because they didn't have faith, and so she was saying, you know, uh, she she said, how can I uh, captivate these people? How can I do apostate with these people without being preachy, right? She said, and and sometimes plus sometimes they do ask me questions. I, like I don't know the answer. Like the latest one was, she said. You know, one person told me that the God, why is it that the God of the Old Testament always seems so mad and angry and severe, while the God of the New Testament is so benevolent and calm and, uh, and merciful? Why is there that change? You know? And she said, I, I, I didn't know how to answer that. I didn't have an answer for them. And and so she said that since she felt that she didn't have a c- correct answer, that she was losing her her... Well, her ability to convince. So she said, what should I say to these? How should I do apostle with my friends in the office? And so Scott, I liked Scott Hans' answer, answer. He he said that, well, that's a good question. That's a good question. That means he's thinking about how to answer, right? But uh, he said that, well, if you think of your own life, when you were growing up, like when you were an adolescent and probably... Your parents numerous times had to reprimand you for coming home late and uh, gave you sometimes strict rules about uh, i don't know going out or strict rules of a curfew you know like the Quebec government gives now uh, you know and uh, and uh, you know things that you might remember. When you were an adolescent or maybe even a young child as quite severe, and you would sometimes be sent to your room or you know punishments like that, of course, your parents still loved you and they just expressed that love in a way that was that was coherent with the fact that you were growing up, and you didn 't have a clue you know? and uh, and uh, you didn 't have a clue about many things, and so they needed to be strict in certain things because you just well, like any any young person, you're still immature, and you needed to learn, right? And so, in the Old Testament, the people of God had their sins. They had their immaturities, and they needed to be prepared to learn what the essence of God really is, because they had idolatry, they had their sensualities, they had their, their, their lust against money and... And um, uh, those are the things that they considered important, and and God had to had to sort of um, bring them closer. They were like infants, or maybe like teenagers, in their knowledge of God. And so it took years and even centuries to prepare them for the fullness of the revelation about who God is in His Son, who is all mercy, all goodness, all tenderness, and who loves us. And so, by the time we get to the New Testament, they've learned, after all the prophets and, and the Book of Wisdom and all that stuff, they've learned much more about who God really is. Mm-hmm. I mean that, and, and so, that explains why the Old Testament God seems to be a bit more severe than the New Testament. And, and he said, well, you can ask your friends mm-hmm. uh, that, look, I'm not going to pretend that I know all the answers. Um, because I myself am confused, I don't know exactly, um, and I may not always be able to give you a straight answer. But you know, uh, I will try. I will try to answer your questions about that, that seem incoherent. And, but he said, but the most important thing, it really, is that you don't pretend to know all the answers, and that you work on friendship, and that you work on friendship. Talk about. What you you have in common ground with them, you know, movies and books and cultural formation, things that you know about that you like, um, trips and so forth. Those are the things that you have in common, and that's, of course, the case here with the friends of the paralytic. They, they no doubt, had a lot of things in common. That's why they were friends with this paralytic, and uh, and notice here also that that. The Lord says, My child, your sins are forgiven. He says, My child. So maybe the paralytic was, well, my child, meaning that he was quite young, maybe he was quite silly, he had no experience, he made lots of mistakes, and that paralysis is in some ways an image of his own sinful life. And the reference to the four men holding on a pallet this paralytic kind of mirrors mirrors the effects of infant baptism where God continues to uh, regenerate the helpless child through the inter- intercessory faith uh, of the parents mm-hmm. and in fact when you have a, a ceremony of baptism the first thing you say when the child comes with his parents the, the child is plopped there in, in his mother's arms and the priest in the ritual says, "What have you come to ask the church?" And they have, they can say baptism, which is like the, but um, they they can also say faith, right? because they've come to, to bring faith to to their child, which will come through through them promising to right to to form the child in the Catholic faith, and and even though the child doesn't even have a clue of what's going on, he's probably you know asleep. Yeah? And um, I, saw, uh, I saw recently on the internet at One of these before and after pictures Of uh, a baby before he was baptized And after And before he's baptized He's all red and scrunched up looking And he's drooling And he's looking like gross, you know And squirmy looking He's all, you know And then after He's clean, smooth His face is shining He's sleeping He's, he's so peaceful and serene, you know and uh, it's literally from one moment to the next. Uh, that's like a clear effect that baptism has on the soul. It's like represented there in this beautiful, serene, and clean face, right? And uh, and so, uh, well, Jesus says, "My child." And there is another account of a paralytic in Matthew that is slightly different. It was probably, a, no doubt, another paralytic where he doesn't say uh, just child. He says, courage, courage, my child. Your sins are forgiven, right? And courage is what we need sometimes, right, to face our weakness, uh, because when we face our sins, our our weaknesses, our limitations, we can indeed be discouraged eh? and sometimes even somewhat depressed, eh? Maybe even in despair with all that's happening with COVID now, we can get discouraged by all the limitations that are forced upon us. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe this paralytic lacked the energy to do anything about the situation. He probably thought of himself as indeed quite useless. He, I, I can't walk, I can't get around, I can't help anyone. You know What am I good for in this situation as a paralytic? Right? And uh, that very fact must have clouded his vision and made him perhaps rather cynical and negative. I'll never change. I'll always be like this. And uh, perhaps, I would say, that's why his friends brought him to see Jesus because they saw he was so discouraged. I mean, naturally, he couldn't get around the stuff, but it's like the worst was that he was discouraged in despair, Maybe he was even saying phrases like, "What's what? You know, is it really worthwhile for me to keep going?" Mm-hmm. And we know that Jesus knew full well that he was discouraged, despondent, or, like you said, depressed, depressed in this state, demoralized, weak, hopeless, and just stuck in a rut. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he said, "My child," or or maybe he said something like that. Courage. Mm-hmm. To help him overcome his sadness in front of not just his paralysis, but his sin. Maybe, as often happens, people are sick or in, a, in that kind of situation, they often blame others for their situation. Right? They, and they don't always face it down personally. But ultimately, the real root of his discouragement ultimately was sin. So that paralytic there we don't know the origin of how he got paralyzed but but it's nevertheless an image of sin the effect the paralyzing effect of sin in our life Mm -hmm. and uh, and Lord this is exactly what you addressed you forgave first you forgave his sins Mm -hmm. because that's the most important thing Mm -hmm. and the devil had already worked on this guy and, and achieved that discouragement achieved sadness achieved stress Maybe uh, maybe uh, to the paralytic, he had, he had made him doubt in his faith. But, of course, his friends hadn't doubted him. And, uh, of course, uh, the Lord says, seeing their faith, not seeing the paralytic's faith, but their faith. Usually, Usually, when the Lord heals somebody, he says, because of your faith, you know, go in peace or walk or take up your power or whatever because of your faith but here it's because of their faith so it's the faith of somebody else who had brought this poor paralytic to Jesus and um, so they they had not lost faith they had seen perhaps what Jesus could do and I would venture to guess that they were quite excited about this adventure even happy They were not sad. They were not crestfallen. Because they had faith in you, Jesus. They had faith in you. And we must never lose faith in Jesus, that he is in some way acting. And it is beautiful to see um, how Jesus responds to the faith of the friends of the paralytic. And he does so by forgiving uh, his sins. And that's why we must, like that girl, we, we must always, you know, Persevere in our friendships with our friends. That's an act of faith, right? To to persevere in helping our friends come closer to Jesus. Persevere in helping them come to confession. We should reflect really in our life. We may have sin. We may have rather. We may have faith, but we have to reflect on our sins. How does sin paralyze me? how does it paralyze me how does sin tend to paralyze me spiritually not not physically the, the physical paralysis is an image of the spiritual life how does it keep me at a kind of low flying altitude where I'm flying dangerously close to obstacles like buildings and, and mountains and hills. Right? When you fly with a plane, you, you shouldn't go too low because you, there's so many things you could hit. You could hit trees and, right? and uh, other obstacles. Mm-hmm. Of course, when you're flying low, there's better oxygen levels uh, at lower heights and you may feel better. But if you go to a higher altitude, um, Right? Uh, maybe we feel we're in danger, but we always have oxygen that we can take. Right? Maybe this paralytic had started on his way to a, a, quite a sinful life, and well, of course, his paralysis was physical, but it is an image of his bad habits, of you know what what sin can do to your soul. That's, that's what that paralytic is all about. You know, it's an image of what sinful habits, sinful thoughts, sinful actions, mortal sin can do to our, our life. And uh, when we're in that kind of state, we really don't see the need to improve. We feel kind of lethargic. And we end up finding everything just a chore. The chores are chores, you know. We find them. find ourselves complaining in front of every difficult task. Everything is difficult. And uh, we just lie there without growing, without expanding. Maybe we have great difficulty getting up in the morning. You know, the morning, the new day, with the alarm clock going off, it's just, oh, my God, oh my God, it's another day I have to get out of this. Cozy bed, you no know, and we don 't want to face the day hmm? we don 't want to expand our heart to where our Lord awaits us or where he wants us. Hmm? Well, we are basically paralyzed. Would you say that you are paralyzed in the morning when you get up? Well, if you get up you 're not paralyzed, but uh, <laughs> you know <laughs> you, you know maybe you're you 're kind of paralyzed for the first uh, Twenty minutes upon hitting the snooze button, right? But uh, maybe we're we're kind of like in a a wheelchair. For us, we know that the sacraments are like the oxygen we need to go higher, to fly higher above the clouds. And in that sense, we have to be more like the friends of the paralytic. And so, as we get to the end of this beautiful. Account, the the Lord asks the apo- the you not know, the apostles but the Pharisees who are questioning in their hearts, how can this man, you know, forgive sins? This, this is not possible. And he would have agreed, you know, only God can forgive sins. Well, I, I agree with you. Right? I agree with you. Man himself cannot forgive sins. So he says this f- expression, which is easier. Um. Because forgiveness is easier to claim than to actually accomplish. Anybody can claim that because you don't see the effects. Or let's say, you cannot verify or observe the effects of of forgiveness. So you can just claim it. your sins are forgiven. So he says, which is easier to to claim this or to actually, right, to actually sort of heal the paralytic. And so he says, so he says, uh, he says, uh, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, take up your pallet, and go home so there he's proving that he has the power to forgive sins by well making something that was obviously a miracle right and uh, he restores the man's body as a visible demonstration of what he has already done in his invisible soul Mm -hmm. so that's why we have to be full of confidence that we have been forgiven in confession we have been forgiven. Even though we may not always feel forgiven, we really have to make an act of faith when you hear those words, I absolve you from your sins, you know, it's it's an act of faith. When the, when the priest says I absolve you, he doesn't say Jesus absolve you. He says I absolve you. And then we got to move on. Don't stay paralyzed by sin we have to move on don't think of the the sins that you have been forgiven for and so he said go home well he go home but it it would have been an occasion for him to evangelize around him both he and his friends and uh, Jesus had indeed forgiven him and perhaps by his cheerfulness by spirit of service on apostle with other friends some people say well I go to confession but I don't feel I don't always feel forgiven right I don't like I, I, I don't know I don't feel I feel guilty or something you know? but we have to disregard that because the fact that we don't have the feeling doesn't mean we haven't been forgiven that means we've turned it in somehow selfishly on ourself towards our feelings and that doesn't describe what's really happened what's really happened there is God has with the with the divine words of the priest the priest is acting in the person of Christ he has God has truly forgiven us that is never, never lose sight of that never mm-hmm. and then okay I don't feel well just too bad too bad if you don't feel it just too bad just I know for a fact that I have been forgiven and uh I remember on a on a shuttle bus some years ago with some older folks on the way to the airport and then noticed uh, I was a priest and started asking questions about it. Uh, so they said, so do you, do you do all this priest stuff? Yep, yep, yep. And so do you even do this confession thing? Yeah, sure, all the time, all the time. And one older lady, you know, and I said, yeah, all the time, she gasped, you know, she just gasped, you know, well, uh, and uh, she said, well, I think that would be the worst if I had to do that, you know, it must be so depressing, she said, you know, hearing all about people's sins, it must be so (laughs) depressing, and I told them, actually, it's the opposite, right? Uh, there's almost no greater place than to be with someone who's coming back to God and feels and is, in fact, forgiven. Mm-hmm. It would be depressing if you know, I had to see somebody leaving God or, or you know, losing faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I get to be there when they're coming back. So that's very, you know, uh, that's very encouraging and you could say the confessional is the place where you see God win. Right? That's when he wins, right? You know, uh, you know, when you have the the confessional when the penitent goes in and there's a secret little button under on when he kneels down or she kneels down and then outside the light goes on, right? The guys, well that's the same thing, you know, when you score a goal in the hockey the light goes on, right? So it means yes, we just got a goal, right? And um, and uh well, the light's gone on, meaning God is one. He's well, at least he's gotten a, a goal there, right? So uh, that's why the confessional is really got to be for us the most joyful, humbling, and inspiring place in the world. You know, it, it maybe okay. Maybe it may looks dark and uh, embarrassing, but really, it is the place of joy, the place of hope. So let us ask our Blessed Mother. Hmm, uh, mother of Hope, eh, that she fill us with that joy of going to confession, of have our sins forgiven, but also increase that level of uh, daring for us with our friends, so that we can, for example, like the friends of the paralytic, bring them to confession and bring them to the greatest joy, which is to have our sins forgiven by God, by God, who is the one who forgives, nobody else. The priest acts in the person of Christ. And therefore, it is Jesus who forgives. And if we can be instruments to that, to bring that miracle about, well, we too will be very, very happy. We will have scored a goal. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me. In this meditation, I ask you how to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.